A reading from the book of Acts. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household the word of the Lord. Greetings, One Fellowship family and friends. Pastor Paul here, and today we are going to be diving into Acts chapter 16. But before we begin, will you bow your heads with me as I share a brief word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, we pray, come, Holy Spirit, come, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's begin with this question. Have you ever witnessed something beautiful come from something brutal? In late July of this summer, my family and I met my brother's family at Camp St. Christopher on Seabrook Island. Anyone ever been to Seabrook Island or Camp St. Christopher, a beautiful spot, a little rustic, but nonetheless, we, we made our way down there and we were like the Beverly Hillbillies of Charleston making our way. We actually had four paddle boards with us in a long tandem sea kayak. 
And right when we got there, we went immediately down to the beach. And of course, what does my daughter, Sailor, say? She says, Dad, Mom, I want to go out in the kayak. Now, it looked a little rough out there that first afternoon, but nonetheless, I went and like a good dad, I got the kayak and, and Carly and Sailor started making their way out into the North Edisto River on the kayak. Now, whenever you go out in the ocean, for those who don't live around Charleston or for those who are new to this area, whenever you go out uh, in the ocean around here, you need to check two things. You need to check the wind and the current. As it turns out, my wife and my daughter, they did neither. And before you know it, it looked like they were trying to make their way to this far island. If I could show you this picture of Seabrook Island, on the left here, Seabrook Island, and this is one of the islands they were making their way towards, but actually they ended up going way over here, if you will, it's not in the picture, to another island. So it's late in the afternoon and they start their trek and I'm like, no, they're, they're really not going to go for this, are they? Thank God they have their life jackets because it started white capping. The winds reached over 20 miles an hour and before you know it, they started somewhere here and they started being pushed way over here and actually even past this island. I started getting scared. People on Seabrook Island started getting scared and they honestly were disappearing from view. It uh, was closer and closer to evening. Finally, I said, I've got to go do something. I've got to go rescue them. I ran, got a paddleboard and started paddling with all my might into this kind of wide open space, this blue that was all choppy. And it was probably three to four foot waves right in the middle of the North Edisto River here where it meets the Atlantic Ocean. And all I could think as I was watching them disappear around the islands going out to the Atlantic is they're going to be lost at sea. So with all my might, I'm paddling my paddleboard and I'm getting beaten up. And before you know it, I was almost lost. I made it maybe halfway or two thirds and I was being pushed out. And I finally had to admit to myself, I can't save them. So I turn around and I'm paddling with all my might. And uh, lo and behold, when I get back to Seabrook Island, there's an emergency vehicle, a truck. And I said, sir, would you help us? My wife and my daughter, it looks like they're being um, swept out to sea. And before you know it, we're, we're seeing them. They finally go around the corner. They reach this distant island and they're waving their hands. And I'm praying, babe, boo, just stay where you are. Help is on the way. But what do you think they did? No, they, they stopped waving. They got back in their kayak and they started rowing back. And I'm thinking, you're gonna die. It's gonna be dark. We're gonna lose you forever. Please stop. Do they stop? No. Can they hear me? No. It's probably over a mile away. And uh, they, they, they try to make their way back. Before you know it, this truck is jetting out. He's called 911 for the rescue squad. And um, finally, somehow miraculously, uh, Sailor and Carly do make their way back. And just then, there's a rescue boat that uh, shows up at the scene. There's a um, jet ski with not just one, but two people on it. There's actually someone bouncing over the big waves on a, a platform on the back, ready to get into the water and save my, my daughter and my wife. And uh, there's the truck. And 
Last but not least, you won't believe this. There's a rescue helicopter. True story. Sailor says to me that day, hey, dad, are you going to preach about this? And I said, I just might. You know what my two ladies said when they finally made it back without the help of rescue? We did it. I can't believe it. We made it. It was awesome. And you know what they said about waving in the distance? They were celebrating. They weren't doing the SOS. They were like, we made it to the island. And you know what I told them? I said, guys, well, everyone here thought you were going to die. What do you think all these emergency vehicles are doing here? And Carly goes, wait, those are, those are for us? Nonetheless, my two ladies kept smiling. So here's the truth. While I and others thought Carly and Sailor were, would never make it through those brutal conditions, they emerged with a beautiful experience, a beautiful story. And as we see in our passage today, facing bad times does not necessarily mean we're in a bad spot. In fact, over and over again in Scripture, in history, we see the people of God being led actually into danger rather than out of it. Why? Well, that's what we're going to be unpacking from Acts chapter 16 today. And this leads me to our big idea, our big takeaway, which is this. The question is not how bad are your circumstances? The question is how big is your God? The question is not how bad are your circumstances? The question is how big is your God? Point one, in dark times, trust in God's love. First, let's give the backdrop of our passage, Acts 16. In obedience to Jesus and his commandment to go and be his witnesses to the very ends of the earth, four early followers of his, that's Paul, Silas, Luke, and Timothy, they traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city in the district of Macedonia, to share the gospel the good news that Jesus had died for their sins and our sins, not only to forgive us, but to actually reconcile us to God and one another. And here in Acts 16, we read of a watershed moment. As these four disciples bring the gospel not only to a new people, but actually a new continent. As Philippi was the very first city in Europe in which a church or a community of faith was formed. So what happens in our passage that leads to the dark times? Well, good clashes with evil. We read, once we were going to the place of prayer and we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. And she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Now at first blush, you might think, why are the disciples annoyed at this situation? So what if a person is following them 
in making a public announcement of their ability and agenda. Well, clearly this person, who we are told is a slave girl possessed by a demonic spirit, is being used to taunt the ministers of the gospel. After several days of this happening around the city, the apostle Paul finally has had enough and says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. And just like that, Paul frees this poor girl from the tyranny of evil within and twisted use of her life by those over her. Furthermore, while this must be inferred from our text, several theologians actually believe this girl became a follower of Jesus through this demonstration of mercy and power. So how did her owners, the slave owners, take the news? Well, not that well. Our passage continues. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or to practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the lower, excuse me, in the inner cell and fastened their feet into the stocks. Wow. So basically the disciples are being faithful and they free a girl from demonic possession in the name of Jesus. And then they're faced with public shaming, physical torture, and unjust jailing. How fair is that? In the words of Nicky Gumbel, vicar of Holy Trinity Brompton in London, sometimes you may face difficulties in life, not because you're doing something wrong, but because you're doing something right. And that is certainly true in this case where Paul and Silas were facing a dark time, not because they'd done something wrong, but because they'd done something right. And just so we understand how dark this moment was for them, as I researched this passage, the reality of how grotesque these Roman prisons were made me nauseous. It made me sick to my stomach. Just think about it. With blood and sweat dripping down their bodies, pain pinging down their limbs, Paul and Silas would have been led into the dungeon of the prison in place in wooden stocks to not only keep them bound, but to inflict additional pain. The stench, heat, filth, and lack of ventilation would have been unbearable. And yet what did Paul and Silas do? In the darkness, they sang. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. We read Acts 16, verse 25. Paul would later write these words about suffering from Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good 
of those, excuse me, of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. And that's the peace uh, Paul and Silas carried with them. That in that very moment, God was working for their good and his glory. That in all things, God is the master craftsman weaving together a beautiful story through good times and bad. You see, in the dark times, the early church trusted in God's love. I don't know about you, but if I was Paul or Silas, I would have been questioning God's goodness, actually, and his very purpose for my life is I was shackled in the dungeon. We do that all the time, right? God, if you're so good, why is this happening to me? God, if you are good, why is this relationship failing me? God, if you are good, why is our country struggling so mightily? Friends, what if we followed the lead of Paul and Silas and dared to sing God's praises even in the dark? Not just on Sunday morning, but every morning. What if we dared trust God even when the lights go out? What might happen? Well, this leads me to point two. In dark times, share of God's love. Our passage continues. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the very foundations of the prison were shaken. Kids, can you do this? And at once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling at excuse me, before Paul and Silas, he then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. And the jailer brought them into his house and he set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Friends, if you are facing dark times, have you considered that God has positioned you there for a reason? Be it in a difficult home situation, a difficult job situation, a difficult life situation, not just to trust God's love, but to actually share it. To connect with someone with whom you would never normally connect. To pray with someone with whom you would never generally pray. Or to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus, with someone with whom you would never typically meet. It's clear from reading Acts 16 that the apostle Paul's plan for bringing the gospel to Philippi hit many unexpected roadblocks in turns that he never could have anticipated. Isn't that curious? 
It is to me. As Pastor Drew shared last week, expecting to find men worshiping at the city gate when he first arrived at Philippi, instead, Paul found women led by Lydia, with whom he shared the gospel. A wealthy immigrant and female, Lydia became the founder of the church in Philippi. This was highly unusual. Next in our passage, on the way to the place of prayer, on the Sabbath, Paul and the disciples are interrupted. Next by a slave girl possessed by an evil spirit. The lowest of the low, she's then freed from the evil within her in the name of Jesus. Again, I'm not sure this was part of Paul's church planning plans. Finally, after being shamed, beaten, and jailed, Paul and Silas experience the power of God as an earthquake shakes the very foundations of the jail, blowing open the doors, loosening their shackles, thus allowing the disciples to extend God's grace and love to the jailer and his family, all of whom then placed their faith in Jesus and are baptized. There is absolutely no way this was part of Paul's plan, that Paul saw this coming. So might it be that God has bigger plans for our lives than we have mapped out for ourselves? Might it be that he wants to forge our faith to reach people we never could reach with a love we never could fathom? Might it be that God will lead us through brutal times to create beautiful results? Church, please listen to me now. We are all facing something big or even something small right now. Depending on the day, Our lives might be twisted. Our thoughts might be twisted. Our emotions might be twisted. Our relationships might be twisted. We don't know what tomorrow will bring because we don't know what today will bring, do we? And here's what I want you to hear. In the darkness, God loves you. God loves you. He wants you to trust him and sing to him right now. Whatever you're facing today, he wants your heart and your voice to rise above your circumstances and rest in his sovereignty. Jesus is not only the savior of the world, he's also the Lord of the world. And this is true for yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And friends, in the darkness, don't just sing. Share. Share of God's love. God sometimes positions us in the shadows not to abandon us, but to use us. To reach the wealthy, to reach the lowly, to reach the middle class, to reach the man, the woman, the child. Let God use you this week, this fall, this school year. And here's what I believe. If we begin singing in the darkness and we begin sharing in the darkness, revival will break out. Neighbors will come to Jesus. Classmates will come to Jesus. Even colleagues will come to Jesus. The question is not how bad are your circumstances. 
The question is how big is your God? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I I thank you for this challenging and invitational message that you love us in the darkness. You don't abandon us. You want to use us to extend your love and glory. And you work all things together for our good. God, as we face dark times, dark weeks, dark months, an uncertain future, we come to you afresh today and say, we trust you. We trust you. We trust you. Give us a new song to sing that transcends this moment and is founded on your sovereignty. God, may we see the people around us even in the shadows, in the darkness. The Lydia's, the slave girl, the jailer. May we not run from the darkness, but may we bring your light into it. And may people be saved. We pray this for our satisfaction and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.